Consequence Podcast Network. Is this a nice surprise? What are you doing here? Shopping. This is her new style. What do you think? What's wrong with you? You know she's not allowed to be here. What is she, your little pet? Yeah. Am I your pet? What? No! And why do you treat me like garbage? What? You said Nana was sick. She is. She is. She is sick. Yes. She's sick. She's sick. She's super sick. That's why we're here, actually. Yeah, yeah, we're shopping. Not for us, but for her, for Nana. For Nana. Also, we're here to get a gift for you. We just we couldn't find anything that suited you, and I only have like $3.50, so it's hard. Super hard. It's, it's expensive. You lie. Why do you lie? I dump your ass. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network. Today is a special day. Why? Because we're here to talk not about Stephen King, but a Stephen King adjacent property that we've discussed quite a bit on this show. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, called Stranger Things, and maybe if you're a Netflix subscriber, you've seen it all over your queues because it is now live. Uh, my name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and sitting across from me is... Michael Rothman, Editor-in-Chief of Consequences Sound and uh, Hawkins Regular. It's true. And uh, yeah, I think we're the two stranger heads mm-hmm. on the pod, yeah. I'd say. Um, I think I think Justin and Mac are casual fans. Mm-hmm. Dan, not a fan. No, he doesn't like it. No. Uh, Mel is a fan. Yes. Uh, so, But I think you and I are the ones who, who I think really respond to it. And so I think we're the good ones to talk about it. I think so. And we also were lucky to get screeners like two weeks ahead of time. I yep. think, no, even like three weeks ahead yeah, of time. It yeah. was wild. Yeah, it's been great. So we've, but the like Mike and I were just joking, we, we've already <laughs> watched it through twice uh, Mm -hmm. for various pieces that we've been writing, whether it be reviews, features, uh, things for both Consequence of Sound and the AV Club. So we are pretty, our heads are, are, are filled with stranger content. We're upside down. I'm upside down with stranger content. So I think we're good people to talk about it yeah. uh, because we, we, we've sat with it for a bit. It's not like we just watched it yesterday and we're here to talk about it. We sat with it for a bit. So, um, so yeah, we're going to try to structure this episode like we do our book episodes for Stephen King. We'll <laughs> see if that works. Yeah. We haven't thought about it too much. So I think... Um, I guess we'll begin with just a really basic synopsis uh, to guide us in. And so basically we're picking up about a year. Uh, Is it a year? It's like six or seven months after. Or nine months. Yeah. Yeah. So season two ends with the winter ball, which is ostensibly in December. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, although it could be in November, it could be like late November, early December. Either way. 
this is like midsummer, uh, not the Speaking Ari of midsummer, <laughs> yeah. But it's like July 18, 1985, yep. because it's right around the time that Back to the Future hit theaters. Yeah, I mean, it's so. July 4th, and I think we start on like June 30th or something. So the whole season takes place over like five days or, or something like that. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's so we begin with that. Um, and basically, all of our characters are kind of sprawled out mm-hmm. into different camps. And so I guess like a good way to start is just to like say who's where. Mm-hmm. So we have Mike and Eleven. Who are uh, hot and heavy, as they might say. And they they teased this a little bit at the end of season two. It's true. It's true. So she's learning the joys of making out. Uh, He's singing Corey Hart to her. Mm. And uh, and Hopper is uh, angrily demanding the door stay open three inches. Uh, Lucas and Max are still dating, but uh, he's he's not a great boyfriend. Not so great. Not so great. They've broken up multiple times. Multiple times, yeah. Uh, uh, Will Byers is... Uh, still a little baby that wants to play Dungeons and Dragons. And Will the Wise. <laughs> Will the Wise. Is he Will the Wiser? I don't know. I don't uh, know. Maybe, but he wants to play Dungeons and Dragons uh, and he feels a little bit left behind mm-hmm. by the rest of his people. And then we have Dustin who's been at Camp Nowhere. Is that real? I don't think it's real, but it is a great movie. I oh, love yeah, Camp, Camp Nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. I forgot about that movie. Christopher Lloyd and uh, uh, Thomas C. Wolfson. <laughs> Uh, Andrew Keegan and Andrew Keegan. I love how I skipped over every kid and just went right to the old cast members that are in this, in that movie. <laughs> Wait, who is yeah. C Thomas Howell? No, no. Uh, Thomas F. Wilson who plays. Biff. Oh, Biff. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's like a reunion between the two back to the future stars. So nice. Yeah. Very cool. Also um, bloody, uh, the blood simple star, um, the sheriff in the movie. So oh, I can't why, remember his name. Why though. am I blanking on his name? Yeah. Uh, anyways, let's, uh, so who else do we got here? We got, um, we got uh, my boy, Steve Harrington, Steve Harrington, sling an ice cream at scoops ahoy. Uh, with, he says that his dad is is using this means to teach him a lesson. Yeah. Is it because he didn't get good, good grades? Probably didn't get good, good grades, or he uh, didn't get into college uh, because he was supposed to go to tech. Um, so I guess it's supposed to be Indiana Tech, maybe. Yeah, but he uh, they do imply that he wasn't a great student, yeah. and um, and his dad is teaching him a bit of a lesson because we did learn in season one that his dad's like connected, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and somebody on Reddit actually did a really good deep dive into his car. Uh-huh. So he drives a BMW Seven Series, which at the time would have been like a fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. Well, so and then he's working with a new cast me- or a new cast member named Robin, who is played by Maya Hawk, uh, the character. daughter. Of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, and good lord, does she act like Uma Thurman? Yes, she sounds exactly like Uma Thurman in like Kill Bill Volume Two. It's wild. Where yeah, like when she's doing all the discussions in Pulp Fiction with John Travolta, like that's all I kept thinking about when she's talking to Steve. Yeah, and man, she's a great character. We'll talk more about her later. Um, And then so, but then Dustin, who's come back from camp, he kind of links up into that camp with them. He loves Steve. Uh, Yeah, which is kind of wild. Like Dustin barely spends time with the rest of the cast. And then we got Nancy and Jonathan, who are both working at the Hawkins Post. She is uh, an intern slash budding reporter, and he as like a photojournalist. Yeah, and loves the Red Room. Yeah, he loves the Red Room. But and, there's um, a, they're surrounded by a genre actor there. Oh, you mean uh, uh, Jake Busey? Yeah, the great Jake Busey. Yeah. I love Jake yeah. Busey. Just and then Bruce—that's his name. And then who's the other? Who's the guy who's the their boss? He's a—he's like a an actor, like an actor of note. Yeah, but like I'm blanking on his name. But I I've am seen blanking. Him in a also, I—I want to say that it's uh, I can't remember his name now. But I his name is Tom. Is it the character's Michael Park? Maybe? Yeah, Michael Park. That's okay. it. Yeah. Um, he's been in a million things, but also very good. But there, it's very much a boys' room, mm-hmm. boys' uh, newsroom. And She's getting them burgers, and they're making fun of her. They are very shitty to her, yeah. yeah. So there's that at the storyline. And then we've got uh, Hopper and Joyce kind of are a buddy cop, buddy cop kind of thing going on here. And as you've seen from the ads, Hopper is all in on Magnum P.I. Magnum P.I., baby. He's Love there it. with it. And, and so, yeah, and so I guess, like, to discuss their storyline is to touch one of the largest 
larger things, a thing that, and by the way, like we're excited to talk about this because in all of our pieces, we've had to sort of dance around major plot points because Netflix sent out um, a list of, of spoilers that we're not allowed to discuss that I, is very long. And I accidentally glanced at it before even watching same, the episodes. Same. Just killed yeah. me. Just killed me. I had a few that, things that got spoiled. I realized what it was as I was looking at it and like I shut my brain down. Yeah. But a few things like did resonate and pop out. And I was like, no, but it was a huge list. And we weren't allowed to discuss these things. And one of them was something that we discover literally in the first minutes of the episode. And that is that we are dealing with evil Russians. Evil Russians, indeed. Yeah. And that was one of the things was no mention of Russians was was listed, which is kind of insane considering how important they are to the plot. Yeah. Basically, the Russians are trying to reopen uh, the the gate, uh, the gate um, to the upside down that has been sealed by Eleven uh, using a very fancy laser that is powered by a gelatinous uh, substance, gak, gak, <laughs> or slime. And um, and yeah. basically they failed, they failed, but then they realized that the best way to do it is to actually go to Hawkins and the Starcourt Mall becomes sort of a cover operation now, for their efforts. What's interesting about that is so in the very beginning, the first scene, as you mentioned. We see all of them working together in Russia on some machine. Mm -hmm. That actually takes place before season two. Yeah. Which is interesting because, I mean, obviously their actions are inconsequential to what actually happens uh, in Hawkins. But it's interesting to note that, like, even before we see uh, my boy Steve and and Nancy have that huge breakup on Trick or Treat Freak or, (laughs) um, you know, or before Hopper has to investigate these rotten pumpkins, the Russians are trying to do everything that uh, tend to disrupt the upside down, which yeah. is kind of crazy. I know. And we don't really have a clear reason why, do no, we? No, not yet. And that's why. But the thing is, as is hinted at in the post-credits scene, we are not done with the Russians no, just we're not. yet. And the one other thing I want to touch on uh, before we move on to talking about the hook of the season um, is is Grigory. <laughs> oh, Grigory... Yeah. Is a great character. Love him. Uh, this is a character who you may have noticed as Arnold Schwarzenegger reborn, <laughs> and I could not stop laughing at how um, at how much like they just leaned yes. into him being Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, well, so okay, so Samantha, my girlfriend, had never seen uh, or she hadn't watched Terminator Two in a while, so we watched it last night. And I could not stop thinking about like Arnold as Grigory, like mm-hmm. the, even just the way he stands. There's a sequence in um, in Terminator Two where he like stands outside the blinds uh, or out, looking out the blinds um, at the gas station while they're sleeping, and his stance is like literally the same thing as Grigory and yep. like in, in Stranger Things. They definitely modeled this to a T well, after T. Even T2. the guy's voice, yeah, like the guy's voice, man. He, like he sounds just like Arnold. They put him on a motorcycle. They give him a shotgun. They got the glasses. The glasses. It's, it's specifically T2 Arnold also. Yeah, you know? it's T2 like, Arnold. And yeah. uh, But then also, did you catch the direct True Lies reference? Which one was this? The Truth Serum. Oh, it's yes. It's directly from True Lies. God, I can't believe I didn't even the think about that. And the actor they cast is the guy who delivers it. Mm-hmm. I had to check that it wasn't the same actor okay. from True Lies. It wasn't. Okay. But it's somebody who looks a lot like him. I cannot believe I totally forgot because that whole sequence with them in the chairs, I kept leaning into Last Crusade because of uh, Henry oh, Sr. Yeah. And, and, and Jr. That's a good one. Yeah. Good and, catch. But that, that's, totally, that's totally true because that says some of the best scenes in True Lies when they're just confessing these, these things to each it. other. Love it. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Let's let's move on. Um, now that we've kind of given you a breakdown of, of what this all is, is kind of let's talk about the themes, the thematic ideas, and uh, a little section we call the hook. Ah, yes. Don't you see? 
Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. Well, this is all about change, because one summer can change everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It's about, like, it's about growing up, obviously, and, um, and I think, too, it's, like, it's growing I, like it's not just the characters, but it's mm-hmm. also the town. Yeah. In but it's growing up in in uncomfortable ways. Like it's yeah. this co- the whole like the mall is sort of um, uh, rippling throughout the community in negative ways and closing down a lot of the small businesses. But it is like a booming thing. Like, yeah. And it's it's like a, a big boom in commerce for the city, but it's also an uncomfortable one. But the thing that I love about what the mall represents in this is is this idea of change. It mm-hmm. is this you know it's change has its consequences. But it also has its positives, yeah. and as we see with this mall, and which is so true to what the actual malls were for people growing up in the '80s and early '90s, is that it is this beacon of discovery and change. And we see that through Eleven. We see that through um, even discussions between Steve and Robin. And yeah. you know, it, it's it's this source of positivity, even though it there has rippling effects. But that's change. I mean, change yeah. is always going to have some people on the wayside that are just you know, marginalized or, you know, seemingly, uh, left behind. Yeah. Left behind is a good phrase for yeah. it. Cause that's almost like, Will. Yeah, like, you know, he wants mm-hmm. the old way and the old way is, is gone. And yeah. then, you know, in the end he gives away his D and D stuff, you yeah. know, which is heartbreaking in its own way. But, uh, but I like that the, the, that the show is very much like we need to keep moving forward. And that's like Hopper's final monologue. Yeah. He says like things keep moving. I want them to stay the same, but they're not going to stay the same. Yeah. And that's like really potent and really resonant. And it's beautiful the way that they kind of work them all into it. And I agree with you. I was writing about the whole idea of how they, they refuse to demonize the mall, yeah. even though the mall is like, um, I think I think in sort of you know in at least in the in the bubble of anti-capitalist sentiment that I live within, it's like you know I, I resent that sort of thing. But it's to me very funny uh, that like and I love that because they do they do you know make the mall malicious in its own sense because it's connected to the Russians. It's connected. Yeah. It, it is a front. I love that the security guards are like evil Russian yes. like yeah. uh, trained killers. You yeah. know, like that to me is so so funny and it reminded me of um Beverly Hills Cop 3? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> oh my god, that is so true. Even the way that like the the way that they act around like um the kids when they're downstairs in yeah. the, the basement area. Yeah. There's this aloofness to them that doesn't really match with the severity of what they're doing. Yeah. Which <laughs> like, I love. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. no, but like Beverly Hills Cup, t- Cup 3 just reminded me because all the, it's like Wally World, you yes. know, and yeah. all the security guards there are like these trained killers as well. And that to me, and like, but there's, so there's this like innate goofiness that kind of accompanies yeah. the the silliness of of like where they are. But, uh, so yeah. Um, now I'm just bummed out that we didn't see Steve Harrington jump onto like a, a you know, theme park ride ugh. trying to save a kid dangling with his like stuffed animal. Hey, that sequence works yeah it, I, it still holds it up. does it does I, I love i love the cameo with george lucas george lucas it's so weird <laughs> ridiculous um, <laughs> oh, God. um yeah and then but i but i do like that they do frame it in nefarious means especially with the mayor and how the mayor is kind of purposefully um you know doing these deals and he's unrepentant and he's kind of like i kind of love this is what i like about stranger things is 
it has that very 80s sentiment where, because I feel like everybody needs to be redeemed in things nowadays, yeah. you know, like uh, people always need to learn lessons or come around or find redemption. And, and if I they do, don't, it means this emblematic statement of whatever they're discussing. And that's yeah, not always the case. I know. And know? I kind of love that Stranger Things characters, like for the most part, when they're villainous, they kind of just lean into their villainy. Yeah. And I like that Carrie always like never quite, uh, he never, like he's always a piece of shit. Oh yeah. Like he never has that moment where he's like, oh, what I did was wrong. Well, you know? I know we're not supposed to say his name on this podcast. Podcast, but I did feel like Klein was supposed to be kind of almost like a, a, a soft parallel uh, to our current president. A little oh, bit. oh, DJT. Mm-hmm. When I DJT inter- <laughs> when when I interviewed uh, him. Carraway's because I interviewed I interviewed Carraway's and and uh, Dacre Montgomery and uh, Carrie was great but he 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 specifically mentioned that they didn't want the character to be too Trumpian yeah. but he goes he's like it's obviously there because oh, yeah. he was talking about how you know because obviously we're right up to I mean whenever this goes live it was either yesterday or today whatever but like Trump like basically hijacked planning this Fourth of July ceremony and all over my Twitter feed right now it's like he's spending insane amounts of money to bring tanks to it so last night people are in D.C. just seeing tanks going through the street and they're like what the fuck is going on but like just the same way that Klein tries to uh, tries to sort of hijack the the Fourth of July ceremony, and like that's what he says to Hopper. He's like, people don't care, aren't going to care about jobs because I'm giving them this fair yeah. with activities and rides and lights, which and is such a commentary be, on the American public in yeah, general. Yeah, you know? and it's like it's like they don't really care about the issues; they just care about the pageantry and everything. And yeah. that's what I'm going to give them. And I thought that was like because you know obviously when they wrote that, like Trump hadn't hijacked the Fourth of July yet, no. so it was kind of very pressing on their part. But and then he uh, he said he he based it on a couple other politicians as well but i think you have to also think of like the mayor and jaws yes, and um, course, yeah. characters like that which who, his his name is larry yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, which is clearly there and then also who was it one of my coworkers brought up the the mayor and buffy um yes. who's like really evil mm-hmm. i've never yeah. seen buffy but well, it makes the, me wonder about next season though the mayor and also even just the principal is very similar mm. just how um well the principal turns into a fucking shape-shifting demon which <laughs> that episode was uh postponed because of columbine so and oh, was wow. a very, i was very frustrated buffy uh, was? yeah wow I yeah, I was in high school. So, so yeah, so there's those aspects, but I also like though that the mall we do get to see those like really lovely sections mm-hmm. with like one of my favorite things is the the friendship that forms between Eleven and Max Love and it, when yeah. they go to the mall for the first time and it's like so lovely. But you see sort of, I mean, we're talking about change. Like we get to see Eleven sort of uh, blossom into more of a human girl. Yeah. I'll say that one of the things I didn't like about the season was when they have her speak in sort of that stilted language. Which, all right, it so just that doesn't, doesn't feel, make any sense anymore. Yeah. Because, all right, so I rewatched the second season ahead of this, and that like, everyone hates that that episode seven, which is I agree because it's awful. The and punks it, episode, yeah, and yeah, it totally bad. goes against all the character development that they have set in place for all their other characters because they're using these awful cheap archetypes, but. The thing about that episode is that Eleven talks like a normal person the entire time. And when she comes back, she's literally already saying stuff like bitchin' and, yeah. you know, I'm stupid. You know, you we're both stupid with when he's when she's having this great conversation with Hopper on the way to the um, the lab at the end of season two. So to come back to that and not only just back to it, but literally like six or seven months later and still have her feel sort of stilted. Yeah. It didn't. It, that That is the one thing I will say is like it doesn't really make much sense, even though I'm not it's not. 
I'm not like, it's not like that crazy. And we're like, Oh, it ruins the whole thing. But it still is curious that like, how, you know, stilted is she at this point? They bail on it too. Yeah. Like after like three or four episodes, she just starts talking normal again. Yeah. It's very weird. It, that to me was like one of the most, and I've seen other reviews call it out too. And it's kind of like, what are you doing? Like, and it just, it doesn't suit her, her talents as an actor. Yeah. Like it just feels weird. But anyways, well, and, like, and, and, but you, but it, I guess it does just represent the idea that she's comes into her own speech wise yeah. and she's coming into her own as a person. And, and also I kind of like that they frame her change as, uh, you know, it's partly like, like you can't be defined by your boyfriend, mm-hmm. like because she's with Mike, and then um, Max's big role in this season, in a lot of ways, is is helping Elle develop like as a real person outside of a relationship and make friends and engage with culture yeah. and touch on all these things and yeah. just be like a human person. And I think that it's interesting that she loses her powers in the end, you yeah. know, because. It's like it's like now it's time to be human for a while, yeah. you know, because that's what you've been building towards. She is literally an X Men hero in mm-hmm. this episode or in this season for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, I I think I called her like a controlled Jean Grey compared to her like Tetsuo mm-hmm. days in season two, but um, or even season one. But the thing I do love about her arc um, for sure is is this idea of. Um, her being, um, you know, having a sense of humor. Yeah. You know, like she, she, obviously she's had some sort of comical moments, you know, her taking all the, the egos in season one yeah. and some of the, 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 the funny moments that she gets to have with the, the kids or even Hopper. But there's like some legitimately funny moments that allows Millie Bobby Brown to kind of flex her muscles a little bit yeah. because I mean, she's ostensibly the biggest star mm-hmm. on, in, at least in the, the, the featured kids section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for her to kind of have a little bit more nuance in that respect, I thought that she was, maybe the most interesting she's been mm-hmm. in, in a, at least in a while. Cause I mean, even, even going into her backstory for season two, I felt that she wasn't as interesting as she was in the first season in that, because I felt that she was kind of like in a holding cell yep. and he didn't really know what to do, even though we get a whole episode dedicated to her. So to have her find her humanity in these sort of like Terminator two John Connor T 800 moments with her between her and, you know, um, Max. Yeah. It was just nice. It was a kind of a, a, a nice revelation and, and, and also just shows that the Duffers are so good at not only developing characters, but funneling them through just a variety of genres, whether it's, you know, drama or mm-hmm. comedy or horror. And I mean, she's like, you know, I, I hate the fucking like description for this, but like she's totally badass in this ep- in this season. Yeah. Like yeah. she kicks ass. Like when she's in the hospital and she's just like throwing the thing around the fucking wall. Like, I mean, and it never feels like it never feels pandering or overdone. It's always very heroic and you always see her like struggling in her own way. It's like, she's never, she's powerful, but she's never like, what's the word I'm looking for? She's never like, like what's, like she's not like Captain Marvel, you know no, what I mean? No. Like she has those a controlled green Jean Grey is kind of a good way to look at it, but like she still gets hurt a yeah. lot. Oh, you know? totally. And I love that. Um, and I and I love that we do see that vulnerability. And I do love that we do see your powers diminish because it makes the character more interesting. Because yeah. if you keep the character so powerful, it would you know it's it's less interesting. But then the thing is, you know that she couldn't beat these things without the help of everyone else. Exactly. Because like yeah. Billy, Billy was going to overpower her in the fight in episode four, and then I think Mike. Yeah, Mike like hits him from behind yeah. and saves her. The fight in the cabin in episode uh, seven, everybody needs to unload well, on that thing. And, and that's you know? one of the things that I would say falls under the hook is this idea of collaboration and teamwork. Because yeah. one of the, the greatest strengths of this season for sure is just the cohesion of it. I mean, from coming from season one is an incredibly tight story because obviously, I mean, you could 
probably have made that a bottle season and that was it. They initially planned that. And that was the thing. Yeah. And that's probably why there has a finite beginning and end. Season two is all over the place, even though I still like it for that. But it's it's just very much trying to find story throughout the whole thing. This one knows the story it wants to tell from the very first second of the, 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 the season to the very end where it's already started the threads for the next, uh, you know, the next story that's there. And a lot of that ties into this, the themes of teamwork, like not, no two people or no team is going to be able to solve this. They need to come together and fucking resolve it themselves. And while that's the case for every Stranger Things season, it is definitely most felt in this season. But there's a lot of extra, yeah, and like totally. And there's a lot of other collaborations and, and strange team ups that happen this season. I mean, that's what they're so good at too, though. Yeah. Like, Like I love that, you know, Every character has a very distinct purpose. Mm-hmm. And like I love with Dustin, Erica, Robin, and Steve, like yeah. that foursome. Like we'll talk about Erica a little yeah. bit. She gets on my nerves. Yeah, but, definitely, uh, definitely. But I'd say, but they each serve very distinct functions. And I really love that. And I love that like Robin really gets a moment to shine in her own way. And um and it's like they couldn't have done all of these things without having each other. And then it's the same thing with um with Hopper and Joyce, which also is setting up potential romance. And then we also get um, Murray. Yeah. Uh, uh, Love Murray in this. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Like, wait, who's... Uh, Hi, Jim. Brett Gelman. <laughs> yeah. Brett Gelman. Like, Brett Gelman comes into it. Um like and I love the fact that they don't just bring him in for an episode or no. whatever. Like he becomes part of the end game and mm-hmm. he's very important. And then uh, and I love that they have this uh, companion in the Russian scientist um, uh, Lexi or Smirnov, yeah. as Smirnoff. as um, Hopper likes to call him. Well, like these are all great names. Would you file them under heroes and villains? Uh, yeah, I think is it time to move on? I think we should talk about I think about so cuz we we we've already talked a lot about the themes and I think we are moving more into characters so and I feel like we're going to touch on more themes as we move into characters. So yeah, let's move on to heroes and villains. We're going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole. <laughs> so, let's talk about I, I feel like we can't talk about every character. No, we can't talk so about everyone. Who are the people? Let's say like like the biggest. The, who are the ones that really stand out to you? And then maybe we can touch on a few people that maybe disappointed us or didn't really work for us this season. Well, let's let's start off. I have a question. So, yeah. who won this season? I mean, it depends on what you mean by one. But for me, uh, Billy Hargrove. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Montgomery, yeah. um, who I am. You just, just, you love a good bully though. I love a good bully. And this is a good bully. We know that on the pod, please go back, listen to Bauer hour on <laughs> during the it episodes. Uh, I have a lot to say about bullies and I have a piece that's running on Monday, Monday, Ju- Monday, July. What is that? Seventh or eighth? Uh, that on the AV club, that's going to be about, um, Billy and the neighborhood bully. And I spend a lot of it kind of dissecting the archetype of the bully as, Dictated by King, yeah. and I, I, I kind of look at Billy through. Did you mean Stephen King? Yes, oh, Stephen it King might be interesting to you, uh, constantly. Yeah, so I filter the, um, I kind of filter Billy through that archetype, although he doesn't fully uh, um, lean into it. But there are a lot of elements that uh, kind of overlap. So for me, I guess like what I really loved about about Billy this season was was how it it's like it's almost like he's fated to meet up with the mind flayer which is what i was hoping for in season two because i felt like and i i literally like billy was like one of my favorite characters in season two because i love bullies but i also love um 
kind of the ways that they flushed him out a little bit, the scene with him and his dad, where his dad like um, calls him the F word and, uh, you know, basically emasculates him was really fascinating. And then the way that he immediately pivots that into beating the shit out of Steve is uh, was to me like some really interesting character work. And I yeah, knew that yeah. it was setting up this character for something big in the next season because I trust um, the Duffers were doing that. And boy, did they do that. They and really not do. only and like what the way I described it was. Like what Billy is, is kind of a, he kind of like in so many ways he gets to have his cake and eat it too. And they get to have it both ways, which is that Billy is both a king bully in Mm -hmm. the sense that he is sort of sociopathic. He's cruel. He is um, capable of of great violence, but he's also, uh, he's also Billy Zopka, you know, he's also, um, Billy Zopka, if you're unaware, was kind of the the classic 80s bully who was in The Karate Kid and Back to School and some other movies. Those are the two ones that I always remember from my childhood. Is he in Better Off Dead? He might be. But he was in a lot of stuff and I, but he, you know, he was impeccably handsome and always still, uh, is. still is. And yeah, he's on Cobra Kai now and uh, incredibly a great actor and just really interesting. And I also love that, you know, it was never real for him too. It was never about redemption necessarily. Like he was always kind of an asshole. Yeah. Although Cobra Kai is giving him some redemption. He big redemption. Yeah. Which yeah. I really want to see. I haven't watched it yet, but well, that's what I love about that show. And this kind of relates to what you're saying is that like, it's that, what I what's great about Cobra Kai, and not to go too much on a tangent on here because we don't need to spend too much time in this dojo, but um, <laughs> is is the idea that we all exist in this gray area. Mm-hmm. Nobody's good, nobody's evil per yeah. se. There's just we all go back and forth on you know on those dimensions, and that's something we were discussing the other day. Is that like you know King tends to just go all in. Yes, and I, that's what that's kind of what my piece is about. And this is like I said earlier that. Like we always feel the need to redeem people or deepen people in today's culture. I'm a fan of that for the most part. And what I like about Stranger Things is how the characters do have a lot of dimension. But the thing is, like, part of me just wants Billy to be pure fucking evil because that is fun and interesting to me. And like... And so I guess like that is in a way like I kind of I kind of am of two minds with Billy this season because I love the idea that there is a rottenness with inside of him. There is an innate sense of evil that draws him to the mind flare and the mind flare. Like when I, I interviewed Dr. Montgomery and he kind of said he's like, yeah, like the mind flare is like drawn to Billy. Like he framed it that way where it's like like the mind flare senses that there is evil within Billy. And I love that when Billy's driving, you know, he gets into the accident that takes him to the steelworks, which is where it all happens. And he hits something with his car and late and, you know, he gets out of his car and there's like some goo on there, which doesn't like indicate that it was the mind flayers doing. But I do like that. We never explicitly see what no. it is. Yeah. Because in a weird way, it feels faded. It feels well, like it would have been so perfunctory to just be like, oh, yeah, look, he just stumbled upon this warehouse yeah, and all this yeah. other stuff. You know? So I love that it's like but I love that it brings him there because it senses that he is the perfect one to make his uh, like host. Yeah. And that's very Kingian because that's something that happens with Ace Merrill in Needful Things. And that's something that happens with um, uh, Henry Bowers and it. And then even you can even look at like his other bullies throughout other stories like Big Jim Rennie or um, or uh, Buddy Repperton. Those are characters who aren't explicitly used by the evil, but they become pawns of the evil in its own way, especially yeah. in Christine, um, because it's like it's basically like Christine in, in her own way, like drew them 
to destroy her. Yeah. Like it's 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 like there is this cosmic significance to it all. And I love that in King, those bullies are never redeemed. Mm-hmm. They are like Henry Bowers is just pure fucking rotten evil. And I love that. Yeah. Like I love because it it gives him a more cosmic significance. Something that is is beyond human. Like there is something evil that is not human within him. And that is a very intriguing thing to me because and I frame it like this in my article, which is I think we like seeing or at least I personally like seeing bullies because in a culture where we do humanize everybody, uh, it's it's a good attitude ultimately. But when we look back on the people who tormented us when we were kids, we can look at them now and say, oh, like. I got to know them or I forgave them or this Mm -hmm. or this or this. But there's always a part of you inside that fucking hates the person that bullied you when you were a kid because you were so vulnerable and they were so evil and they were so cruel. And there is like the way you viewed them when you were young was that they were these big forces of evil. And that is a very pure sort of idea. And and I feel like there are certain parts of us that never get past that as we get older, even if we forgive the people who bullied us. And I think that what I love about King is that he takes that fear, you know, because whenever we we get well, he embellishes it big time. Yeah, he embellishes yeah. it. He he brings it into the realm of supernatural. And he also, like, when we're in Henry's head, when we're in Ace's head, it's not a pleasant place. No. These aren't guys who are conflicted. These are evil people. Yeah. And that's what I love. And so I wanted Billy almost at times when, and I like at the beginning, we see, uh, I get the sense that we are seeing, you know, uh, somebody who is really evil, especially last season with him as well. And, uh, and so when he does get possessed, it's like perfect. And he becomes this like really wonderful sort of dead eyed, uh, host for like this project zero or, or uh, patient zero for, for the mind flare. But then at the end, as it goes on, um, we start to see these memories of him and his mother and it's absolutely gorgeous the way they do. This. It's beautiful, but. And then, like I don't even know how they film that. Yeah, where they have it kind of juxtaposed against the beach, mm-hmm. where Eleven just keeps seeing these memories that because she, she's going into, inside his head. Yeah, um, and there's these like you know the trademark colors of the show, where it's the neon reds and the blues and, yeah. and and the blacks, where you just kind of see these images through like it looks almost like the um, the designs that are on those cups that yeah. have like the the swiggles and stuff. Uh, it, it's so gorgeous in the way that they make this sort of. Um, collaborate like a collage yeah. of memories is just it, it makes it that much more affecting because i mean at the, the end of the day it's it, it's stuff that has to do with you know someone who has issues with like you know where their mother was mm-hmm. when they were younger and a lot of dad issues and stuff like that so i think like having it in that sort of medium only adds to the the sort of um epic revelation of it of, of finding out the humanity of billy in those moments yeah for sure, you and know? it's and the thing is i'm a fan of finding out billy's humanity but then there's also a part of me that is mildly disappointed because mm-hmm. i just sometimes wanted him to be baseline evil yeah. but the thing is like dr montgomery when i interviewed him was basically he was the one who wanted to humanize yeah. billy more he was like i came up with all these storylines and and like the scene with him and his dad in season two wasn't even in the original scripts they wrote that because he asked them to because yeah. he's like i want to humanize this character and he was like he can't be evil he can't be bad just because he's bad and yeah. part of me is like yes he can he could. <laughs> like but at the same time i do like what they did and i i do think it fits the show i mean i would argue that the sequence at the end of season two in the final episode, actually, when he comes into the buyer's house yeah. and threatens, you know, Lucas and is like holding him up against the wall. I love that. That's arguably the most danger, the most dangerous situation I think the kids have been in. Yeah. 
Until this season, for yeah. sure. And that moment was what set me up that I'm like, this dude's pure yeah. evil. Yeah. So I think the idea that in the end he becomes, he sacrifices himself to help save everyone and mm-hmm. then apologizes to Max in the end, it's a good moment and I like it. But there is part of me that's like, I almost didn't need that, yeah. you know? And so, um, but it reminds me in some ways of like, uh, to bring it to King, um, like I am, it reminds me of, uh, of, uh, Bobby's sister, who is this like really reprehensible character. Cause you haven't read Tommy. Have I you? have not. Yeah. No. She has this sister who's kind of worthless in the story and we, we really hated her on the pod, but she's this like really villainous evil character, but she end, ends up getting, becoming like, um, um, uh, kind of taken in by the aliens and and she's being fed upon and at this and what I kind of love is that even though she's disgusting and reprehensible nobody deserves the torture that she's being undergone yeah. and then well, and she ends up using like her mind as a means that like she uses her rage and her anger and all the things that are ugly about her to rebel against um, yeah. and cause all this chaos against the aliens and I almost wanted something like that from Billy where I'm like he's being tortured and I love the idea that he would like his rage would manifest in a way but here they made it a lot more tender and I'm not a, I'm not opposed to that. I'm but. not opposed to it either and I, I'm pretty much on the same line with you where I was I was absolutely satisfied where this narrative went. I thought it was gorgeous thought it was wonderful how they, they treated his arc. At the same time I almost wanted them to go uglier Yep. and I felt that there's a middle section of this season and I don't know if it was maybe something happened behind the scenes but I felt as if they were going that route Yeah. and at some point they pulled back and maybe it was around the time after episode four, but I'm still surprised that, you know, for all the talk about body horror, yeah. and there's a lot of it in, this, in yeah. this season, a ton, and it's great, and it's phenomenal, and I think they do great homage to Carpenter and Cronenberg, all that. I wanted the, the Brundle Billy. I wanted him yeah. to become like the physical monster, yeah. like almost like a Brundle fly at the end of it. And that was what I feared. Like when we were doing the breakdown of, for the trailer for Consequence of Sound, I was, that was the first thing I theorized was like that monster that's in the hallway was going to be Billy. And obviously it wasn't. It's actually something far more disturbing when you really think about it. But because um, it's the soup of the people yeah. that are all coming together, which is really awesome. And I love that. But I still wondered like, okay, then why wasn't Billy part of that? Yeah. Like why was he you know, this separate vessel. And I almost wanted to see that sort of physical performance from Billy, mm-hmm. from, from Dakar. Mar- 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 Would have been cool. Mar- yeah. Mar- I'm with you. I'm, I'm happy with it overall, but Me too. Yeah. yeah, but, uh, so, okay. So who won the season for you? I, you know, it's, I, I've gone back and forth on this. I really love Robin a lot. She's and I awesome. think she's the best new character that this series has ever introduced. Yeah. I think that she's phenomenal. Um, her revelation when she, which she admits, you know, to, to Steve in the bathroom yep. um, is, is, is unreal. I mean, we could spoil stuff on here, right? We've already, We've spoiled, already spoiled a lot. A lot. Okay. <laughs> so she basically, you know, comes out as, you know, queer to, um, yeah. to Steve. And that's, that's, it's the way it's played out is so beautiful and so perfect. And I, I know I've been using the adjective beautiful. I'm so sorry. I don't sound, I don't want to sound like I'm like working for the Hallmark channel, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's really well done. And, and it's, and it's, it's, and it, and it doesn't, it's not one of those things where it's just like a description of her character because yeah. that's what it would have been so easy to have been like, Oh, well, you know, here's a, you know, the first real blatant, like queer character in stranger yeah. things like, but that's not the case. And just the way that she, her arc unfolds is just it's it's unreal that this is the third season and we're getting a character like yeah, this. Yeah. And and she's just it's just so well thought out. I mean, the way that she she is a part of the team almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. There's a cynic, cynicism to her that is 
realistic in ways that it's not for Erica. Yeah. And, and where, you know, she's doubtful, but then she kind of wins in on it. And obviously it takes like five episodes for Erica to find a come around. But yeah, um, but I do like that. Like, cause Robin is, is cynical and she does have an edge to her, but then she also like is, is excited to help out with the yeah. Russian translation. Like and when she's, she's hopping out and, and figures out the East, you know, meets West yep. situation. And like the way that she does like the language, she becomes more obsessed with them. Yep. Um, there's just a playfulness to her that really matches. She's just such a perfect foil for Steve because they both are on that same line where they're they're outsiders to this bigger picture, but yes, they're also integral pieces to solving everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really liked her, but I got to say, like as someone who was never really a fan of her character, I thought Nancy Wheeler really came out ahead of yeah. the season. I thought that her arc from having to to deal with you know the 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 boys' room of you mm-hmm. know Hawkins Post. But, but also, there's that moment she has uh, with her mother mm-hmm. in the in the um, in the kitchen in the Wheeler house, where she's just crying, and she's just like, you know, I don't want to come off as a disappointment. There's a lot of expectation about me, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to be a disappointment. I don't want it. To, I don't want them to know that I can fail. And the way that she comes out on top and really leads a lot of the investigation, pretty much leaving Justin or not Justin, um, uh, Jonathan in the shadows, yeah. uh, which he has some cool moments where he's fighting in the hospital. For the most part, he's pretty much on the sidelines. this yeah. season. I don't think they know what to do with him. Yeah, I don't think so either, but the way that she comes out and just really just takes, uh, takes it upon herself to find this story. And even at that one point where she like grabs a shotgun and is like fighting the fucking, it. it's so cool. It was like her own little Ripley moment. And I, I just thought that she killed it this season and yeah. I really loved which I thought she was the Steve this season where yeah. she, she came around and, and was able to kind of be the hero that, you know, we've kind of wanted her to be from the beginning. I mean, she's, she was fucking doing gun. She was, you know, training with guns in the first season with Jonathan. Like, so for her to come out on top and this was, I don't know, for me, she was, she definitely won the season. For I me. love her unloading the shotgun and the yeah. thing. It was very, it was all very evil dead, but it also, was, yeah. yeah, but, um, but alien too. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I love Nancy this season. The reporting aspect was a great way to pivot her character. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it was like, and then yeah, I was thinking too about that scene with uh, Carabuano's uh, character and the just the intense vulnerability. I mean, that's like those are the scenes that the Duffers do so well. Yep. Is they really, really know how to make a character like super vulnerable. I mean, I feel like the reason that the Robin revelation works as well as it does is because Steve is also in a place of deep vulnerability because yep. he's like he's. Uh, not playing it cool anymore and kind of owning up to the fact that he likes her and he's fallen for her and, and he, you know, and then, but it's not that easy, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and man, like, it's so funny. Like Joe Carey is such an interesting actor. And I think a lot about season two, that scene in episode two, when they're at the party and they break up and she is like, in his face and like bullshit. Yeah. It's so good. Like the acting is great. The writing's great. Just party. Yeah. And like, but, but like he, but he too, like you, that character, you look at him in the first season and the, the, the ways in which they've like been able to sustain the humor of the character, Mm -hmm. the edge of the character. And then also like find these moments where he is so much more than just like the archetype that he could be like, um, he's the most interesting character altogether for me. I mean, yeah. wow, what a surprise. Everyone would never really <laughs> guess that with considering my fucking Twitter and Instagram feed, but, but like the ringer did a, did a good piece yeah. um, about Steve and basically like, will he transcend 
will he be more than a meme? Because, and I think he was more than a meme last season. I agree. But too. He gets, I don't really agree with but that. But he just gets but, memed a lot. Yeah. So I think that. Because he's a favorite. I mean, yeah. he's fucking gorgeous. He <laughs> is like, I mean, look, I, I don't. <laughs> look, I, I I am I will be fully transparent to to show, to say that like he was like Luke Perry for me in the sense that like I am f- absolutely attracted to to Joe Curie in this <laughs> in this role. I th- think it's kind of fucking impossible not to be. His he's just such a gorgeous human being, and the way that they actually make his character, he is literally the embodiment of like like the effeminate male. Yeah, and the way he has is like his hair falls over his eyes. He's got like the fucking um you know the the handkerchief over his like his mouth and like the thing. He's like he's like the cool. He's like literally the like the epitome of cool. Except he's not cool. Yeah, and that's what's so fucking great. Like he's he's this like self aware. The, the self-awareness that he has in this season that he's not cool is what makes him the more interesting character. And ultimately I feel tr- makes him definitely transcend whatever meme status they're arguing. Yeah. For sure. And like, that's what I love is they give him these like really, really lovely moments this season that kind of just break my heart a little. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that's so neat that they've been able to do that, but then they can also make him, still a goof you know like i love it in the final scene with them in the video store when he can't name his favorite movies it's so funny and it's like what's um, that what's that one with the uh the 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 guy with the the time machine and it's like what i know i love it and so and you know that's setting up I, I feel like yeah. I feel like this show has been building towards some characters who work in a video yes. store. Yes, oh totally. Like, they want to have their clerks that. moment for seriously. Sure. And then, um, but we'll get to that. And uh, yeah, so um, who would you say was there a character that you might say was kind of a disappointment for you? I mean, I'll start and just say like, like we mentioned it, we hinted at it, but like, man, you can't like make a meme character like like all I read about Erica leading in to this season was like you guys are gonna love her like she was really funny and I liked her in season two because she's got like a couple scenes she's funny yeah they're like we're making her a bigger character and you guys are gonna love it you're gonna be memeing her you're gonna be doing this yeah. you're gonna just go crazy there's gonna be gifts of her and I'm like okay cool but then like and and I enjoyed the early appearances by her. I like that she had a little entourage of people with her, you know. Yeah. And so it cracked me up. But then once we started spending more time with her, and it was like her sass and everything just felt really manufactured, and it just felt really like, like it was part. Like I don't know. It felt like they were writing her to be a meme. Like it's kind of like the worry about like, oh, are they going to write Steve to be a meme this yeah. season? Yeah. And I think that because I think the like the ringer piece said it was like oh the internet loves Dustin and Steve together so are they gonna like double down double down on that and then make it and it'll just be silly and I like that they doubled down on it but they actually made it work they reconfigure it you you reconfigure it you change the dynamics we also subvert it I mean there was the whole vice versa thing you know with the Fred Savage Red Judge Reinhold movie where like he becomes like Dustin becomes the sort of dad to Steve's you know you know idiot child (laughs) yeah you know he has to kind of parent they like them. each other, yeah. you know. It's it's not just that the internet willed them together. You yeah. believe the relationship. Like it was, and it wasn't a situational relationship as it's almost pretty much hinted at in season two. I mean, all well, at the end when he takes him to the prom, you kind of get the idea that like Steve definitely has like a paternal you know significance over it because we don't really see Dustin's dad anyway. So no. um, I don't even know if know, he has a dad. I don't think so. We always yeah. see his mother. So. Um, I, so I do like that they kind of, um, you know, put that on there and that you actually see that he's excited for him to come back as opposed to like, oh, there's this kid again. Like he, mm-hmm. he's like genuinely excited for Dustin to be. I home. love that. First and it's so charming. Like, yeah. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. You know, so... But yeah, Erica, though, it's like maybe she'll uh, be more interesting next season, but she just, to me, was just like a punchline factory mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting a real character out of her and I never quite did either. I think it comes around... I think, like, I think the, the charm for her comes around... Maybe by by the time that you know Robin and Steve are drugged yeah. and it has to fall in the hands of Dustin and Erica, I think the pairing up of Dustin and Erica helped um, empathize her a little bit more because the she's, nerd combo was funny about yeah, My Little Pony. Yeah. yeah, like that stuff was kind of was was good. I mean, it's not great, mm -hmm. and it's definitely the weakest pairing. And it's and, and I think that her character and together is just it, it's ultimately insufferable at some points. But um, just because it's just so like well. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And like, I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, you know, clearly you just, just, just buy it at some point. Like yeah. we need to go four episodes with this. Yeah. So I, yeah, for me, I thought that was definitely the weakest inclusion. It didn't, the thing is, is that it didn't destroy anything. I still loved all those scenes and I love that, you know, everyone kind of, there's so many checks and balances to the character teams in Stranger Things. So that even if somebody does get a little too out of control and too annoying, there's always someone to kind of like um, soften them up a little bit and be like, look, you know, and put them in check. And I think that like Robin is that for yeah. Erica because yeah. when she's just like sitting there trying to drink the stuff that's in the TGR. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, the little vessel thing that reminds me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. I, um, I wrote that down in my notes. I'm like, it's like TMT too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dan, uh, Caffrey always goes off on that movie because at the end he hates that the scientist, uh, David Ward, I think his name, yeah. uh, he's, he starts dancing at the end and it's just like, <laughs> it's just like this, you know, character just, just gets destroyed or maybe it was, maybe it was Flieger. I, either one, we, we always talk about that, how like this, this character who's supposed to be this intelligent person just like starts dancing to Vanilla Sky, uh, not the Vanilla Sky, Vanilla Ice at the end. Uh, the best scene in, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Use was, was during a big fight scene because we went and all saw were you with us when we saw it at midnight? Yes. Yeah, and we all, bad idea because it was right after Lollapalooza, and I was dying. Yeah, like, but I, I do remember though there was a scene that I couldn't stop laughing at where like Splinter like has an arrow or something, and he's like up in the in the rafters, and he shoots via he shoots like his crossbow, and then it cuts to other stuff, and then it cuts back to Splinter, and he just walks away. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, like it's like he the the shot exists solely to watch like Splinter kind of dotter away, and it's one of the funniest. It's hard to explain why it's funny, but I remember I was like losing my mind. Laughing. Well, it reminds me of like when you're playing a video game and a character comes out. It's like, here you go, yeah, or something like that, you know, or like in Star Fox when it's just like, you know, Slippy or something. It's just anyway, we're That's going off so topic. funny. No, but, I like it. Um, yeah, so I think uh, uh, I think the other character that I, I like this season. Uh -huh. But he was a little too shouty for me sometimes. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, Mr. Hopper. I, too oof. much anger and shouting. She was very vitriolic. Very like vitriolic. Time. And I was like, like it was fine for the most part, but 
it got re- and I know that they were trying to convey that he him and Joyce have this like Same combative Diane's chemistry. Yeah, yeah, but like it got a little too much for me. All right. So have you ever watched my uh not my not Miami Vice, but Magnum PI? Uh yeah, I know that he's I know that like he's channeling Selleck yeah. somewhat. Yeah. Because Selleck is like such a little shit in that fucking mm-hmm. show. Um which is so funny that he was originally supposed to be like Indiana Jones because it totally would have been a different character. Yeah. Because Actually, that's really funny because like Hopper is easily supposed to be the Indiana Jones of this like Amblin-esque yeah. environment. So the fact that like he's falling into Selleck, who originally was supposed to be Indiana Jones and would have totally changed that whole thing of being this sort of more 70s leading man. Yeah. You know, like this like angry dad sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's Hopper seems to be of that more so. I think it's supposed to play into the idea that it's like summer. He's over. He's overweight, which is yeah. something they actually. I didn't even realize this, but they they totally hint at it in the in the ending of the season of season two. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's he's having a sandwich with uh with Paul Reiser at the at the bar when he gives yeah, um, the, yeah, yeah. the birth certificate. And in that scene, um, he's like, "Oh no, I'm dieting." And and then when Paul Reiser's like, well, you're probably gonna have to keep eleven out of the you know limelight for a year, he like grabs the sandwich and stuff. So it may, <laughs> maybe it's supposed to mean that like because he has to be a father, he's just been leaning into these vices that he can't traditionally have, you know, like like drinking and getting drunk and you know, waking up and you know, I do like that the scientist calls him fat Rambo. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um any other characters that maybe you wish you'd seen a little more of this season? Um I, I kinda wanted a little bit more of Boosie. Of who? Bo- uh, Bo- uh, Boosie. Jake Boosie. Like oh, Bruce? Jake Boosie. Yeah, Boosie, yeah, yeah. I know. I want a little more, too. But yeah. um, I do think that he has a lot, a lot of fun yeah. playing a Michael Myers type character. Yes, yeah. Well, it's like Michael Myers meets Freddy Krueger because yeah. he he's like a smart ass with it. Yeah. But yeah. I kind of love that whole hospital sequence to me is I rewatched it recently. I think it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. And I love how dark it is. I love that there's dead, bloody people everywhere. I, I love and look, this is what something that Sam uh, pointed out was that there's this weird like there's a such a fun interplay between the levels of the hospital. Yeah. So you have them doing these like cutesy John Hughes moments. And then right above there's like Nancy and Jonathan being terrorized by and everything that's going people on everywhere. And it, and it does really factor into the Halloween two thing because there's so many, the, the, the big joke of Halloween two is that there are so many more people here that are involved and Michael Myers is still able to kind of maneuver in the same way he did the first one with just two teenagers in a house or something. Yeah. And like, that's, what's so great in this is that there's a monster that's literally just like, Sashiming like through the fucking halls and breaking walls and destroying things. Things are on fire, and then they're downstairs like eating ma- M&Ms playing and with, stuff, yeah, which is playing great. With the vending machine. And, and I also love that it carries over into the next episode. Yeah, um, and th- just that whole interplay that reminds me very much of um, when you see the 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 two of them, um, Busey and um, oh uh, uh, Tark, yeah. when they Tark. they melt and then they they the, the two of them meet in the hallway. Uh. It's very similar, like that th- the thing when yep. like the thing walks out of the room and stuff. And yep. I, I, the way they play that. In, in lesser hands, it could be such an obvious sort of, oh, God, they're just remaking the thing. But the way they twist it to make it their own while also paying homage to the thing is just why these echoes in pop culture for them work ultimately yeah. all the yeah. time. And, yeah, that, that that hospital sequence is just phenomenal. God, it's so good. Um, let's move into... I think a good I think a good way to move forward right now would be to skip word processor because we're already talking yeah, about we're the not, things we yeah. like and maybe move into the cemetery and discuss maybe some stuff that spooked us. I agree. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery 
It's the cemetery, uh, Stranger Things edition. Mm. Uh, when I think of... Where are all these vines? <laughs> when I think of, of what really like genuinely unnerved me this season, mm-hmm. I think of, of Billy... Because uh, it, it gave me chills. Was at the end of episode three... When they're at the dinner party with Tom and well, uh, wait, what's the name of the lifeguard's name? Heather. Heather. Yeah. Heather and her parents, and he and they're having dinner, and then after um, she passes out from the pills he gave her, and then Tom is on the ground, and then you know uh, Heather hits him with the bottle, and it's like, and what's the song it's playing? Oh, it's American Pie. Yeah. Don McLean's American Pie. One of my I, least favorite songs of all time. Really? I hate it. See, yeah. I love it, and yeah. but it's I, perfect here. It's perfect here, and when. When, you know, she knocks him out and that song is playing and every and like, you know, and she her she's like dead behind the eyes and it, and she's like basically tying them up and, she, you know, they're going to drag him away and everything. And just the, the shot of Billy that the episode closes on where he's like smiling, but his eyes are like totally fucking dead. And yeah. it's and then they're playing American Pie against it. To me, it was like such a beautiful, unnerving, freaky shot. Like I was so into that. For me, it was involving Billy, too. It's the inevitability of um being infected. Yeah. I think that, and that plays into all of Cronenberg's fears that he has in any one of his movies and why his body horror is just so universal and timeless. Um, and especially in this age, I've, I've stressed that one of the, the body horror is just such a perfect horror, um, for right now of like selfie culture where everyone's obsessed with being vanity and, you know, having vanity and vain and, and whatnot. And so for this, it was, you know, someone who's been going through some sort of weird body stuff over the past year or two on my, on my own, there is a fear that comes from the fact that you'd have no control over it. Yeah. And yeah. you, and every time you take a shower, you know, like more hair comes out mm-hmm. and, you know, then there's just, and all of a sudden, you know, you have fluctuations in your body and there's things that happen and you have no control. Yeah. And so seeing that, I think the Duffers do a really good job of showing the lack of control that Billy, you know, exhibits in this, in this season Yeah, where he, you know, he, keeps going to the shower. He rolled, he, one of the great visuals is him sitting outside and just like, Oh, covered like up with completely like the, covered up. Yeah. And then I love that. Um, like, I think it's like Lucas or somebody is like, when have you ever seen Billy with his shirt on? Yeah. You know, like I love yeah. that, which yeah. is, which is great. But like, it's that inevitability of the decline and knowing that you can't do anything about it that just sticks with me. And the, the anxiety time. of it, too, mm-hmm. which which manifests like he's got that Zippo lighter that he keeps fidgeting with, which yeah. I, when I interviewed him, he mentioned that. That was like his his choice. He's such an actor. It's like very sweet. Like he's so excited about acting, yeah. which was very funny because like Carrie always, I think, is like, ah, just show up, say the lines, you know. <laughs> you know, when I was doing Bride <laughs> with, uh, with Rob Reiner. Um, I forgot he was British until he started talking. Yeah, well, you know, what's funny is that, you know, so he does a really great job doing an American accent, except for the movie Saw. Yeah. Well, I don't think he was too horribly invested. No, I don't think he was really either. <laughs> it, took him, it took him seven movies to get him to come back. So, uh, What do I get out of this room? <laughs> Who's this Lay Whannell guy? Um, uh, yeah. yeah, so <laughs> I, I think that, like, it was honestly those, the, yeah, I agree. It was like those tiny, it was those tiny character moments that freaked me out. Although I will say that, like, I definitely, when, when every, when the whole town is summoned and they walk into the basement of the steelworks and they just start yes, melting. That scene is so good. I love it. For, for, first off, let's, let me, I know we're not supposed to praise things here, but this also ties into the horror is that 
I don't think special effects or CGI has been utilized this perfect in a yeah. while. Yeah. Like the way that they they use like the physicality of it and like the practicality of it with the trademark CGI, it's phenomenal. I mean, like even watching when the, the goo, when it turns to goo and it goes under the door and it busts through the fucking like filter that's on the door, it just, or it, the screen, it's so real. And like that, you know, there's been, there, there's definitely some like weaker elements of sure. CGI here. Like when the, the Russian machine, in the beginning looks yep. a little too PlayStation ish for me. Yeah. But the, the actual Demogorgon or the mind flare is so fucking real in this. And, I just thought it was just if it did if they didn't nail that that whole sequence right there would would have been just so easy to fail. Yeah, but you feel the bones crunching and you like that's the, what I love. Oh, it's just fucking. But great. like when when it slips into the sewer grate, which is a yeah. very Pennywise moment. Um, that was that's in my Easter eggs. But uh, when you see it slip into the sewer grate and bones get left behind because yeah. they can't fit through, like I love that. Mm-hmm. I love and I, I like my favorite thing is that. Like, I hate shit when, like, a whole town gets possessed or something, and then you kill one, and then everybody comes back, and they're okay. Like, I love that all these people are fucking dead. Yeah. Like, they're dead. 30 people. Bomb. Thir- yeah. Gone. Yeah. Gone. And it's, like, I love the stakes of that. Like, kill these people. Like, that is so dark. And um, so, yeah, it's great. And um, I'm trying to think of any other things that are scary. I mean, I think, ultimately, when they're in the cabin at the end is pretty terrifying just mm. because there's a uselessness that you kind of feel for all of them at this point that you didn't in previous seasons. Like even when they bring back will to that cabin in the second one, you know that they're going to probably find a way to get them out, Yeah, you know, get the, 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 the mind flare out of will. Yeah. In this one, I never really, I, I never had the confidence that, mm-hmm. you know, even when Nancy's pumping the shotgun, I'm like, oh my God, like she has a shotgun against this huge giant thing that is literally over the fucking cabin. Like, yeah. what are they going to do? Yeah. Well, the um, sheer size and the magnitude of the mind flare. And there's that shot in, in the final episode of, of it crawling on top of the mall. Yeah. Which have you ever seen that like fake viral video of like a giant spider creature crawling yeah. on the side of a building that's really viral? Yeah. Um, it reminded me of that. Yeah. Oh, totally. And totally. Because it's a really unnerving image. Yeah. It, and, it had a very Cloverfield like um, yeah. you know, thing to it. Yeah. The sheer size of it is very spooky. And that scene when you look up, they look up in the skylight and you see it up there. Like that's all to me very, very cool. And I just love it. And yeah, it's, it's and uh, like, it's all very squishy. It's all very gross. It's all very bloody. And I feel like it's growing with the show a little bit. You know, it, it reminds me of Harry Potter in the sense that like, you know, as the kids get older, the horror gets a little more intense, the emotions get more intense and we get all of that. So I'm hoping that season four, they push it even farther. I want season four to go like full Big Trouble Little China. That's yeah. I feel like I'm I, I I I'm actually surprised that there wasn't more Big Trouble in Little China references here. I was almost waiting for it, mm-hmm. um, but I do. I think that you're not far off because I could see like whether it's Hopper or Steve just having that role. They're like, Steve. guys, what are we gonna do here? Like yeah. you know, I feel like they're like Steve is the Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. and I would not be surprised if he becomes like that character next season. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I, let's move on to. Uh, I, is there any pound cake to discuss? Not really. No, I feel like I liked. Um, I mean, they don't lean. They didn't lean too hard into it. I, I thought. I think it's. I thought it was kind of sweet to show the different levels of relationships. Like I like that Mike and Eleven were in that phase where they just want to make out all the time. Yeah. Lucas and Max are this like you know endlessly bickering couple, and then I like that. Um, like I mean, Nancy- Murray has to like explicitly state once again. Like you two like each other, like <laughs> cut the shit. You know? And I thought it was really touching, like yeah. like that 
you know, she agrees to go on a date with him. And then, uh, well, that's when I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. That he was going to be, that he gets killed. Uh, no, it's definitely not, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think instead of King's dominion, then we should talk a little bit about, uh, maybe our favorite references Mm -hmm. that we noticed here. Let's go into King's dominion and talk about it then. (laughs) Let's well, yeah, let's go into King's dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. So yeah, I think uh, we can t- I, uh, we can discuss the King references that we yeah. saw here. Yeah, because you said you you found you felt you found a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, to me this was a very uh, it heavy season, mm-hmm. and I think in the broader sense of, of being summer and all or? summer, uh, the group of kids fighting against the large inter interdimensional monster. Uh, also, although that's been a thing from the previous seasons, obviously, but for me, the fact that the mind flare was using the sewers to yeah, travel yeah. was very, was a very pointed moment. And then did Lucas use a slingshot in previous seasons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. See, I missed that. I, I, I totally forgot. Uh, so anyways, there's always that, but then for me, it's like, it's the trope of, I mean, to come back to bullies, it's the trope of using, yeah. um, the, that the monster uses the town bully yeah, as very, sort of his vessels. Very Bowers. Very Bowers, yeah. which I loved. I like the see, and that's like, and that's why like, ultimately I'm very, I'm, uh, I'm ultimately happy that they didn't just like go the Bowers route, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm glad that they gave, they made Billy a more fleshed out, interesting character. Although my whole thing, and this is what I, it's tough for me to articulate, but what I love is I still think Henry Bowers is such a wonderful fleshed out character, even though he's completely rotten inside. And that's what I think is so fun about that character. Um, so, uh, yeah, but those were the main ones, um, especially just the motif of the bully and the way that Billy's character sort of evolves. Um, and obviously his, his possession is very different than Bowers, but that whole idea of the cosmic evil being drawn to the human evil is a very cool kind of thing to me. Yeah. But that, those were the big King, uh, connections that I found. Oh wait. And then did you see the fire starter poster at yeah. the end? Yeah. yeah. Which was just kind of funny. Although, and I looked, it's like, it's like. Uh, Firestarter had come out in May of 1984 and this Mm -hmm. takes place in July of 1985. So I'm like there and like, yeah, it took a while for movies to come out on VHS, but it would have been out by the fall. They're not going to have a Firestarter poster still up. No, but uh, which was me just being like comic book guy from the Simpsons for a minute. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's like just a nod because clearly the 11 storyline from the first season was very inspired by uh, Firestarter. Not in the sense that, that uh, Al can set fires, but she does have the, you know, the mental powers. And then she's also wanted by nefarious yeah. government scientific forces. So I saw a little under the dome vibes. Oh, tell me about it. Well, just the idea that, 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 that story is, is, you know, orchestrated in such a similar way where you have so many different threads that seem to come together mm. at the very end. Um, also dealing with like politics and the corruption yeah. of town politics and yeah. ways that previous seasons of stranger things never really did. Um, you know, like with the big, gym or anything yep. um and and even just like the the way that you would have these sort of supernatural elements that seemingly tie into people that were never really introduced in the introduced to those elements either and the outsider influence of the russians being there um kind of gave it some sort of like military presence as well that that also was in was part of you know under the dome yeah. in the small town setting and it, yeah, like the, the the way that this is so self-contained and yet also so part of the the larger world 
world of Stranger Things. Um, I felt like there were some echoes of yeah, that. Yeah, the breadth of it, I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Um, and that's always the king that I love. I love when we get a lot of disparate storylines that converge in like yeah. a really cool way. Yeah. That's always been. And that's like, I like that in season two as well. Like, I feel like that, it's like, it's that moment when in season two, when they're in the cabin and like, they're all together again and they're holding like, and yes. Steve's got his baseball bat. I love that. Yeah. And like, they've all got those moments. I love that. And that's why I loved it in the cabin too. Like when they had that moment, because there was one like that here where they're all just like gearing up, yep. waiting for the monster to come. And then we get a similar one in the mall. I'm still way into that. And I kind of love that. Um, like the way that Billy almost becomes kind of a wild card character when the mall battle is happening. I love that sequence where he's chasing them through the mall and I love him in the car. Well, that's very Christine. It's very Christine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. So yeah, the way Billy like, and Billy, and then Billy also had, it's funny cause he's dressed just like John McClane. Yeah. Um, in the final scene, and he's got the dirty wife beater that's all yeah. bloodied and beaten up. There's so many diehard references. Yeah, you said there's like a, a literal quote. From literal it. quote. Uh, yeah, like I guess. Yeah, we can touch on here now. That I think that's the extent of the king that I found. Yeah, the only other the only other one was like maybe Salem's Lot with the way that things are happening to the town. Oh, with, the possession like, unbeknownst to yep. the the main town itself. Definitely. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that they were toying with a lot of different like possession narratives, but I definitely, when I was thinking about King specifically, I thought of Salem's lot. Um, but yeah, so I guess for me, like talking about some of my other favorite ones was, you know, clearly when Erica was in the vents, it was filmed just like John and the vents in die hard. And I kind of like, I made a joke in my write up in our Easter eggs write up where I like said something about like, like they'd stop just short of her saying, you know, like, yeah, come out to the coast. coast. (laughs) And then, uh, but then I was like, then they had the direct quote. It's, it's slightly changed. Uh, when, Hopper meets uh, Grigory in the season in episode five when they're in the the basement of the Hess farm mm-hmm. and he puts a gun to the to Grigory's head and he's like I'll you know he's like I'll blow a hole like in your head or whatever and, and then Grigory's like no you a policeman policemen yeah. have rules in yeah. uh, Die Hard the, uh, John McClane's first fight is against Tony the very tall blonde beautiful terrorist uh, <laughs> and and then he puts a gun to his head and then he says you're a policeman. There are rules for policemen, <laughs> and it's like so. It, they had very, they just switched up the line just a little bit, and uh, and rewatching it, like uh, Gregory delivers it. In my memory, he said it just like the guy in Die Hard, but he delivers it a little bit differently. Um, but that one was like it cracked me up. There's a, I mean, there's so much Arnold in this, yeah, and ton. I think those were all my favorite moments because I this kind of does point to the fact that. Stranger Things is to me uh, really leaned into action, yeah. like eighties, nineties action, totally. and it's not just like eighties stuff. Like, because uh, Gregory to me was a great addition, even though I think people are going to hate that character because I don't know why it's so. Like, well, I just I know, but I think that I think that people recognize my. Um, this is where I get. I'm going to rant slightly. Mm-hmm. This is where I get annoyed at Stranger Things criticism. Is I feel like people see references they recognize. And they think that that means that the reference is gratuitous and therefore they are above this content. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, and they will always say like, well, why don't you just watch the movies that they're ripping off? Yeah, and that's not And the I'm case. like, but the thing is, they're not ripping it off. No. They are incorporating iconic referential 80s stuff that shaped 
that generation and the people who are making this show and they are reframing them, uh, restructuring them and, uh, and using them as a a springboard. It's very postmodern. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're using them as a springboard to like different emotional beats. If the show never landed its emotional beats and didn't have interesting characters and was just like a vessel to put forth those references and do the same storylines over and over again. Like if they, if, if they did, uh, Halloween two or whatever. And like it played out exactly like it does in Halloween two, then it would not be interesting. No, but they no. use those moments as touchstones that are like, they're like memes. They, it's a language that people speak. Exactly. And it yeah. brings you in to the moment in a different way that, I, and, and for me, that's where the show really taps into the nostalgic part of me that, you know, doesn't want to be like, you know, I don't want it to, I don't, it's like, I hate how much like you can genuinely entice me and excite me by just like quoting Die Hard, yeah. which is true though. Cause I grew up on that movie, but I also love the way that it can do that. It can tap into that part of me, but then it just gets me more invested in the characters. But the, I think the Arnold stuff, cause Arnold to me, the older I get, the more I, I, I realize how much I love him. I always yeah. call him my problematic fave. Cause I know <laughs> I know he's he was a bad boy when he was younger, but um, I, but the thing is, I look at what he does now, and he helps and he helps kids get into uh, kids with disabilities get into sports, and he seems like such yeah. a nice man. And um, and but the movies that like all of his old '80s and '90s action movies are literally the things I grew up on, and I adore them. I'm doing a stage reading. I'm well, I'm helping put together a uh, kind of a, a lampooned stage reading of Kindergarten Cop oh, later nice. this month, nice. um, and which I'm very excited about. Maybe we'll post about it on our socials. And uh, but Kindergarten Cop is like one of my all-time faves. But I love that we not only get Gregory, who is clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger here, uh, and references to The Terminator, but also references to True Lies, which is another great movie. The scene... The truth serum scene at the end of the uh, we are wait we discussed this yeah we are yeah yeah. so the truth serum scene later on is like direct reference to true lies and I love that and so I think that was in terms of references I really love the fact that we had assault weapons and explosions and chase scenes just like you know I love the carnival like the hall of mirrors it's I know it's such like a touch point but at the same time like it's always thrilling it's also really tense I mean I was so worried that in, in that entire sequence that you know. <laughs> that he was going to get shot or something like yeah. that. Um, especially knowing that like I had seen like quote unquote Hopper's fate um, in the yeah. spoiler list. I was like, yeah. Oh shit, is this where it's going to be? But um, very tense moment I, for me. I loved a lot of the more mid-level eighties uh, references, you know, like the idea that they're all possessed uh, from um, the, 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 you know, the, the way that the town gets kind of uh, absorbed and possessed is very like much of like the stuff. Yeah. Um, yep. Which I just, you know, Larry Cohen's movie, yep. you know, uh, the late Larry Cohen, um, very fun movie if you haven't seen it. And the, the fact that it's actually at the marquee, um, at the movie theater in Starcourt mall is great. Uh, yeah. Nice little homage there. Um, and also just, you know, just the way that the, the, the monster develops like from a carpenter level and, and even though the, some of the older stuff that they, they echo back on with, um, <laughs> You know the the do, 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 do. a lot of like like Ghostbusters moments at the end, like when there there's this huge giant thing and they're all kind of like huddled together behind this thing. And they're like, "What the fuck do we do?" Oh like, yeah, you know, that is a good Ghostbusters and, moment. And um and Jurassic Park too. and Jurassic Park for sure. Like the literally the way that they were shooting Mike and I can't remember who was with them, uh, hiding behind like that long table yep. and the tentacle was coming yes. up along the yeah. side and the way that like they were looking, it's totally Jurassic Park. And, and they also, and, and also very like War of the Worlds with uh when they had like the um. 
the telescope coming or whatever the the ship come through the basement oh that, yeah. which honestly is a total homage to jurassic park and that like spielberg referencing his own movie but, right um i also i but i also really loved like this is a total spiritual homage to fast times Ragement high which yeah. totally personified them all and, and and made it this you know huge american iconic tradition in, in that movie and even down to like the scoops of Hoy uniforms are literally just a reference to what Judge Reinhold has to wear yep. for that pirate fish company that he works. And there's for. like literal shots that that he they recreate. Oh yeah, like they, they, the whole moving in stereo with the cars when Billy comes out to as a, as a yep. lifeguard is is referencing the Phoebe Cates scene. Yep, the masturbation scene with Judge Reinhold, same song, which kind of was like i usually don't like that when they go too literal with that but it, it, it was fine it's like a funny moment but and also th- then the billy scene also reminded me of like Lacey and caddyshack when she yeah. lost to the pool yes and yes, uh yes. but then also the fast times like the escalator when yeah. you see the them going like the girls on the escalator going down and kind of like flirting with the people going up like that's directly fast times and then there's like a shot of a corn dog being made yep. all of that's directly from fast times and and it's fun because i think that fast times sort of serves as that counterbalance to like the dawn of the dead right like yes. the the two views in the mall yeah. it's like one is where it's it is a gathering place it's like it's a place it's a hub it's where people meet it's like social media before social media exactly you didn't go yeah. online to see who was around you went to the mall to see who was there mm-hmm. and i and love you that. get all the stories yeah and like and then also the um but then you have dawn of the dead which is like the yeah. idea of like the emptiness of materialism mm-hmm. the emptiness of capitalism and all these things and and the and the fact that there is a zombification that comes with capitalism which is so, so. interesting that they subvert that like that notion cuz we all saw them all and we were like ooh horror mall we're going to get Dawn of the Dead. And they actually really lean hard into the Day of the Dead where the kids actually go to the screening of it. But then they also use John Harrison's score from Day of the Dead while, like, I think it's one of the, this, one of my favorite scenes is, like, when Steve and Robin are on the floor and they're talking about their, you know, um, and being in high school together. And that's John Harrison's theme from know Day that. of the Dead, which is hilarious because, I mean, that theme is, that, that whole score is amazing. It's totally underrated. Uh, please go and find it. It's awesome. It's better than the Goblin theme. You guys Day are so good at, like, recognizing scores. I'm very bad at that. I'm just obsessed that. with, like, that's mostly yeah. all I listen to anymore. So th- when I heard that, and it just so happened that I had watched Day of the Dead, like, only a few months ago. And I was like, God, this score is fucking great. It's yeah. like a, it's like a, it's very survive Stranger Things, you know, or Mike, Kyle Dixon and Michael. Schein, the only, so. uh, the only score I recognize is the kindergarten cop score. For my reading, I'm uh, trying to get my buddy to play, play, to play, it, it, the, play it during the, the readings. Well, and, I hope if, if you've been with us long enough and you remember some of the episodes that are, that have since been taken off of, uh, uh, the feed. I think this one is actually back on it. Uh, when we use the kindergarten theme nonstop, oh, yeah. and we just <laughs> recycled it again and again. And we're trying to like do these, ex- you know, these serious t- topics of discussion. And it's just like, ding, ding, ding. Oh yeah. That didn't uh, go over well. Did not go over well. Um, any other references that, that were fun for you? Um, there's, there's definitely a few that, uh, I mean, I, I love little things in the background, like when they're in the, you know, the, the grocery store, the new Coke little spiel was kind of like whatever, but oh, yeah. I do love the idea that um, if you look closely, you'll see how detailed the set design is for this show. Like you could literally see like the Ziploc bags and they have like, you know, like a, a promotions for gremlins, yeah. which had come out that December, you know, pr- you know, prior yeah. um, or no, a whole year before that. Cause it was in, around in June of 84. So it already been out a year, but if you look closely when um, 11 is uh, sitting on the, um, in the aisle, like, um, you know, nursing her wound, 
if you look back, you could see Ziploc bags with like if you know proof of purchase, you get a gremlin thing or whatever, which That's is great. Fun. And then you also see the real Ghostbuster cereal, not only just the the real Ghostbuster cereal, but also the Ghostbuster cereal that came out the year beforehand. Wow, so, a lot of detail that they put in there, That's and I just wild. phenomenal, just phenomenal jobs. Like when they when you talk about like, oh yeah, you throw it away, it's like a vintage thing. This is like a lived-in fucking environment. They went all full Fincher with this, where they just did. They stocked every store, everything to make it look as realistic as possible, and it pays off. I mean, yeah, Carrie always talked about that in another interview I was reading about how detailed, like he, like he was talking about how the Molly's, like you could actually order food and eat it. <laughs> Wait, real? Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, crazy. he was. Yeah, he was saying that. Like that's how detailed it all was. That's awesome. But that's um, so cool. Uh, so. Let's move on to our final thoughts. And with our final thoughts, why don't we share a little bit about where we would like to see the series go yeah, next or I where like we that. think it's going to go next. So final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. You go first. Okay. Um, I love this season. I'm a sucker for this show. I think that there are, like, things to criticize, but my problem is that, I, I don't know, I just feel like they are leaning harder on the references, but I think they compensate for it by leaning further into the drama and the characters. And so I feel like there's going to be a lot of blowback on this season, if I'm being honest, just having watched it. I think think, so. I genuinely think that not from critics is the critical responses have been pretty strong. Um, but I do think that sort of, um, I don't know. Normie Twitter is going to is going to be like the show's dumb. It's just a bunch of references, which to me is is really undercutting it. So but that but the thing is, there are certain parts of it that I don't love. Um, There are certain parts that feel a little bit underdeveloped, uh, mainly with. Uh, I think like I, I like I struggle to get through some of the Hopper stuff in the middle of the season just because he's so mad all the time and it does occasionally feel like it's spinning its wheels just a little bit. Um, I wish that they could incorporate Jonathan better uh, and even Winona Ryder better. Like she's Winona Ryder's character always feels like she's a sidekick and I want her to just do a little bit more. Well, I thought she the electromagnetism when she's able to kind of like solve it with like Mr. Clark was kind yeah, of fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's just to me it doesn't really resonate in the larger realm of the story. I just want them to do I want it feels like to me the characters that I feel like there's certain characters especially Jonathan and Joyce that when they started the show they thought were going to be major characters Mm -hmm. and then as the show has evolved those characters have kind of been left behind and they're like we don't know what to do with them and that's just the vibe I get and so there are moments like that I didn't love Erica as a character um and you know like like there are moments of inelegance I would say but Overall, though, it's like I'm I'm so I find the show magical in ways that a lot of a lot of shows don't do it for me anymore. And maybe that's because it does tap into my nostalgia receptors, because like all the stuff that they reference is the stuff that I genuinely love growing up. And it's yeah. really targeted at my age. Oh, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Which yeah. is kind of wild. But the thing is, I will say all like my nieces like love this show. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's built entirely on well, that. Because it's a timeless quality of whenever you treat kids with respect mm-hmm. and don't act as that they're these idiots yeah. and they're, they're actually really well-developed characters. Like any kid is going to love that. Yeah. You know, it's why like, I mean, I didn't grow up in the fifties, but when I saw stand by me as a kid, I was like, well, those are fucking, that's, that's me and my friends. Like yeah. I, that we, we curse, we smoke, we talk about shit all the time. We steal stuff. Like, 
that's real. Like I love when, it. when it's all like these kids, like I gotta get home. Like, yeah, which to be fair, when has that happened in pop culture recently? <laughs> I feel like actually like creators nowadays have a really good grip on how to write kids, but whatever. I agree. And, but I think too, like I loved a lot of the larger stories here. I love Billy's mm-hmm. storyline. Obviously I love the mind flare uh, and the idea of the possession of the town, the brutality of it. Like, I like the fact that, the stakes are very real. Lots of people died this season and I love that the stakes are there. And I love that they maintain a sense of sweetness and innocence with our main characters while also painting them as real children yeah. through it all. And, uh, and I, I, I like the way they broaden the world. I think the Russians are really fun. I feel like their time is going to be next season. Yeah. I feel like the Russians were introduced in a way here because we still don't have a lot of details on them. And I feel like next season, um, if I'm talking about predictions, uh, I when I interviewed Carrie Lewis, he had a moment where I basically was like, "Where would you like to see the series go next?" I go, "I know you can't name specifics, but you know what would you be into?" And he kind of joked, "He's like, well, I'd love to see Mayor Klein come back, you know." And as we know, at the end, he was arrested. But I don't know the way he framed it because. When I talked to Billy, he talked a lot about the idea of a god complex and his character having one. And Carrie always started talking about the mayor having a similar one. Mm. And he started framing it and talking about the mayor in a way that we didn't really get to see this season because the mayor's a relatively minor role. Yeah, he is. I genuinely feel like they, because reading his interview, they reached out and brought him in. Like they wanted him in the show. And I feel like they have bigger plans for the mayor. I feel like he's going to come back because I feel like he's tied in with the Russians in the business sense and uh and i think that the russian storyline is going to be a major aspect next season because at the end of the final episode there is a post credit scene stick around for it uh I realized why I didn't see it the first time I watched because you told me there was yeah. one um, was because Netflix immediately went back to the preview tab yeah. once the credits started. So I just turned it off and there is a post credit scene and it takes place in Russia um, and there's two different cells. It's like in a big jail cell or something. And they walk by one. Yeah, they walk by one and they say, no, not the American. Which is? It's got to be Hopper. It's Hopper. Because Hopper, as you know, because you've watched this, like he disappears after the laser explodes. So. See, I have, so I, all right. So I've, having just rewatched this entire series, I know exactly, I, I feel like I have an idea of what's going to be with that. So tell me. I feel like the fourth season is going to be this sort of, all right. So first off, they've said that this is probably going to be like either a four or five season show. So if it is the fourth season, that's the end. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things that's been going on. A lot, a lot of people have been talking about how the fourth season is going to be filmed very closely to the third season. If not, they've already started filming. That's one of the rumors that's been going on. Okay. Is that they've actually filmed scenes for the fourth season. Um, now, if that's the case... And let's say the fourth season is the end and they have to kind of harken back to things that have been left unresolved. One of the things that's been left unresolved is Brenner, Matthew yeah. Modine. Yeah. Now, in, if you recall in episode seven, which obviously they didn't make any reference to because they're like, we don't want to we want to avoid any of that because that was clearly the biggest hiccup that 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 almost superseded everything that was of season two because everyone was like, ah, episode seven's awful. But Brenner appears in that and he appears into uh, Eleven's head and says, like, I exist. Yeah. And the only thing you really do see of Brenner in the first season, they disappear. Yeah. You know, they're gone. Like, and same thing with like 11, like they, they, a lot of them are just gone and you assume that like, Oh yeah, well they all exploded and stuff like that. But if Hopper is teleported with some, you know, whatever Russians were there at the same time. And there was a, the energy like brought him over to Russia and teleported. It's very possible that that is what happened. Like yeah. there was teleportation that's involved. So if teleportation is involved and yeah, you have the buyers that are, 
you know, if left Hawkins, it's very possible that the next season doesn't even take place in Hawkins or only bits and pieces of it yeah. take place in Hawkins. And well, actually the world keeps getting up. bigger every exactly. season. So. so maybe it takes place in a bigger city. Maybe it takes place in Russia. Maybe it takes place um, in, in, in like, you know, in Asia for all we know. And they can really kind of go into the, the, the big trouble and little China vibes. Basically, that's what I want to happen. I want it to go all full B-movie self-awareness of it. but Because um, it's a very deliberate choice to have yeah. the buyers leave with Eleven. Yes. Like, yeah. that's a bold choice. Yeah. And that's, that's clearly heading somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like I will, they, I will yeah. say that, like, had they not had that, uh, you know, I, I'm so all in for a fourth season because I trust them, like, big time. But I would have absolutely been okay if, like, Hopper did die here and this was the ending. Yeah. I think that the way that they sent they, they send everyone off and they have that that sort of acknowledgement of change and growing up is just so... T- there's, there's such a great button to that and the fact that Eleven has found, like, a, a family that she's grown with and, you know... I, I just think it's a gorgeous, beautiful ending, the way to kind of capture like the childhood. Because when they come back, they're not going to be kids anymore. They're going to be like older high school students at this yep. point. I mean, they are so old in this yep. now already. I know. So, Mike is so tall. It's insane. So Thin. anyway, I, I really like this, se- this season. I You know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, second sequels are like never this good. I think that, you know, the third chapter, I, I was trying to think like what chat third movies, their third, you know, second sequels. Do I really love, I like love Alien 3. I love Back to the Future 3, whatever. You love Back to the Future 3? I love Back to the Future I think it's better than the second one. Um, but I, I think I think this is they're very it's very rare that they're this compelling, this affecting, you know, this integral. And I mean, and you know, it's if anything, this is like usually around the time, especially for showrunners, when things kind of start sagging. And I felt that this is so tight. I mean, Agreed. it's so succinct. It's to so me, it's compact. the best season. It's yeah. the best season. Yeah. And I and I think even over the first one, which I think is really great, and I love the innocence of the first season and how like raw and indie film it feels. But this is just so fully realized, and this is like a perfect distillation, I feel, of what the Duffers have been wanting to achieve mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And just the character design. I mean, like the way that they're able to develop and twist and grow characters, both new and old, are just, it's unreal. And I, I put in my review that I feel like this this whole season makes like David you know, Benioff and D.B. Wise look like Will Byers at the cram. Seriously, like, it's, yeah. it's just like, this is how you write a fucking sprawling story. And it's a blockbuster. Yeah. Like, it's framed like a blockbuster movie. It is. It's movie. a summer blockbuster. And that's what I love is, like, it really hits all the emotional notes, and it hits all the big fucking, like, big screen. Like, I wish I could watch some of these episodes on a big screen. Me too. Because it's, like, it's so huge, and that's so fun. Yeah. And so, yeah, I give it um, four and a half out of five bright red Pennywise clown noses. I I'm gonna go full five. Just oh wow! I, I look, I'm I'm I, I'm a <laughs> Hawkins head. I, I'm I'm a crazy Stranger Heads, you know, Stranger Things fan. <laughs> I literally head. I literally wake up in the middle of the night and look at the Reddit threads. I that's funny. You know, I'm a, I'm obsessed with this. So for me, this is uh, I mean, Stranger Things is right up there with King for me in terms of obsession. So I mean, I'm literally wearing Nike Stranger Things shoes. Nice, and uh, it's fucking joke, but. <laughs> So I love it. Five, five out of five for me. If we get, you know, if the next season's remotely as good as this, that's, it's wonderful. But one question, you know, do you think that Hopper traveled through time? That's a possibility too. Cause we don't see where this is. And back to the future. A lot of people were theorizing that time travel would be part of this because yeah. of back to the future. And maybe this is the subtle nod because we see the Demogorgon at the end of the post credit stinger in a very, uh, rancor yeah. r- return of the Jedi like scene, which made me laugh. Um, so the Demogorgon emerges, like what is the fate of the Demogorgon as it, cause you just rewatched season two. Like that's a separate monster from the mind. It flare, is. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so like they're, they're like almost like the minions in a way. Yeah. Um, like the demodogs and all. So they all died when yeah. the gate closed. 
is. So it would make sense what that if this he's in was, the past? yeah, it could be in the past. And yeah. like, if that is the case, then we're talking dark. And maybe that's because where have Brenner you seen, is. Yeah. Have you seen, um, have you seen Netflix is dark yet? No, I want to see that. So if they do that. Then we're really in some weird waters because there's already a lot of similarities between those two shows. Yeah. And the one significant, you know, uh, difference is that dark deals with time travel yeah. and it deals with tunnels of time travel. So yeah. if stranger things goes into that, the similarity is going to be even stronger. But I, I mean, actually more I think about it, I'm sure that's what it is, you know, because even the soldiers uniforms look older. Yeah. I think that, I, I, and that is, this is the kind of trick they would pull with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that to me is my theory. I'm not sure if he went forward in time, back in time. I, I would say more back in time than well, anything. If that's the case, then I wonder if you, if we look closer, we see something that deals with like an older hopper somewhere in there. Yeah. Could or be true. some reference or something like that. That could be wild. Um, I'm into it. Uh, I think that's. I think we've expounded. I think we have. We've expanded yeah. ourselves on on Stranger Things. This was fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please give us a follow on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you haven't yet, and also please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. We we would really appreciate it. And uh, let us know what you think of Stranger Things when we post this. Please comment. Please send us messages. Do all those things. And, and let send us, us your know. theories. I want to send know us what your you think. theories. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm I'm not the best theorist, so I would love to hear other people's thoughts. So uh, signing off. Long days and And pleasant pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.